<laughs> Thank you for being out here. No, I, I, uh, I feel actually a little bit embarrassed for you. So, <laughs> I'm used to that. <laughs> I just, I'm making sure that this thing is recording. I have some sort of software that I have, of course, stolen. Uh, that's supposed to automatically record when Skype starts. So, um, yeah, I, I actually do. You, do you have a Mac? No, I don't. No, I'm not okay. cool. Okay, because I, I, my, I record. I, I'm also recording this. So if you need a backup, I. <laughs> Okay, that's this is your way of saying. Yeah, legally, I feel like I probably should have told you that already. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Believe me, you you'll want an extra copy because I was already planning on doing all sorts of edits. I, oh, I yeah, was... just for the for the sake of uh, the authorities. Right. I well, I was sitting there thinking earlier today because I, I I didn't I didn't plan anything. I'm too tired and all that kind of stuff to <laughs> actually think about what I was going to talk about. And and GIF okay. set up this and... thing, and I was like, well, that's great. But still, I didn't have anything planned. So I, the only thing I thought about today was how to get you to say I am a Nazi and edit it all together. Yeah. Well, so, just just ask me a couple questions, and I'm sure my uh, it'll all just come out. Yeah, I'll just walk away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. So tell me about yourself, and I'll get out of here. Um, yes. So all of this, by the way, is going to be on, I'm sure, because whenever Gifts does any sort of editing and stuff like that, he never ever cares about me actually getting to the intro. Um, awesome. Awesome. Do, so I have to ask you this: Do you have any idea who I am? I know, I know who everybody. Listen, I read the I read the site for crying out loud. Oh, like, you know, I mean, I'm a, I mean, I'm, I I I've always been a fan of what you guys are doing in the first place. So I'm pro. Uh, you know me; I am obsessive on any Cardinals related thing. So you you guys got to be. Uh, uh, you you you. Everybody comes. Uh, I come with my own preconceived notions of who I am. <laughs> That's, that's scary. That's scary. But I appreciate <laughs> that because I was like, if you didn't know who I was, well, this is going to be the worst thing you've ever done. <laughs> yes. um, right. Like, <laughs> you know, I listened to I listened to Bernie and you today and I was like, you know, Bernie didn't say one sarcastic mean comment at him. He doesn't know what he's in for tonight. So <laughs> <laughs> well, I could, I, I'm Bernie has to pretend to be nice to me because I think he was afraid. I think all those old time journalists all think that I'm still involved with Deadspin and I'm going to yeah, say something yeah, mean about yeah. them. Don't, so, don't worry. We'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, that's what Gift said. He was like, "Wow, a Cardinals fan will actually ask him about Deadspin." I was like, "Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's the only thing I thought about." Um, <laughs> all right, so I'll do a fake intro now. Okay. Okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Birds on the Bat podcast. This is Bruno, and uh, with us today uh, we have uh, Will Leach, who's going to be slumming it with us. Um, yeah, it's. It, I could go through a list of different things that Will has done or is involved with, such as his new podcast with Bernie Nicholas, who I, I, I'll never say that name correctly, I'm sure, uh, Seeing Red. Um, but uh, as far as I know, Will is typing right now because all he does is write <laughs> all week long. Uh, he also has a, like 18 TV shows, and, and now he's actually on this podcast here, which I, I mean, it must be 24 hours a day. Anyway, welcome, Will. Thanks for joining us. Of course, uh, thanks for having me. I'm a big, I'm a, a big supporter of uh, what you guys are doing over there. And uh, as you know, I'm a bit of a, I, I for much writing I do, I'm even more of a consumer of all of this stuff. So for, so for me, uh, I always joke that like whenever I talk to people whose work that I've, I've, uh, I read or I listen or I talk, I'm on a podcast that I listen to a lot. I always feel like I'm inside the TV 
Like 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 the Twilight Zone episode where the boy hangs out with all the cartoon characters. Uh, I always feel like that when I'm when I'm involved when I'm interacting with people who I work I know or a fellow Cardinals fan whose work I know. Uh, I always feel like I'm talking to uh, I'm I'm talking to Fred Flintstone. So thank you, Mr. Flintstone. For the, well, that's show. great because my car works just about as well as his does. Yeah, um, you have to pedal really fast. How how many hours a week do you work? I mean, I it is nine oh nine Eastern for both of us. I'm tired right now. I'm I'm done. Like we're four minutes into <laughs> yeah, this I, thing, I'm ready to go to bed. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a marathon, man. Not you right. you, act, you actually I, write your own thing every week to sum up how much you've written. I like to. This is my thing, you know. I mean, I've spent a long time uh, writing a lot, and nobody cared. Nobody paid for me for it. No one read it. No one cared. Now, slightly more people care, if not a dramatic amount. So, particularly compared to the vast number of human beings on the planet. But I would say that. this was all I ever wanted to do was to be able to write for a living. I know the internet has changed and all these other things are happening. So I'm happy to do some television and have to do some podcasts to help it. But for me, you know, my natural way of communicating with the world uh, is to write. It's my only way to make sense of it. So if I'm not writing, I get, I get really antsy. So you, and I'm going to insult your career here because I don't know how you started or anything like that, but you seem to be like almost the original blocker. Uh, or at least, let, let me say, someone who really took to the internet when the internet, you know, when everybody was talking about us living in our mom's basements. And my mom has a great basement, so I'm not trying to say anything bad about that. But how did you break the mold where there are so many people like me who might get run over by a tractor? Uh, well, first off, um, the, main, the my main advantage was that I'm old, <laughs> to be entirely honest with you, is that, <laughs> you know, I uh, I started... I, you know, I graduated from the University of Illinois, uh, and I knew I wanted to write, and so, but you know, I wanted to be Roger Ebert. Roger Ebert was my hero growing up, and so I, but I, you know, I didn't. Roger Ebert became Roger Ebert because he worked at newspapers his entire life and put in his time, and I didn't have the patience for that, and I didn't, I didn't really, uh, I barely liked even going to going to class. So for me, I graduated and really kind of came into the world of journalism at a time where web the web was in its infancy, uh, particularly as a as a place where people were writing and making things. So for me, I'm old enough to think that the first thing I thought when I saw the internet was like, oh, awesome, I can write really long now. Like this is very exciting. <laughs> so for me, it fit my personality very well to do it. So I never thought I, I was able to write for a long time before. No, without anybody paying me, without caring whether anyone was paying me, and having the freedom to kind of figure out what I was going to do when there were not a lot of people online. So I was able to kind of like do it the way that I wanted to do it and develop my voice the way I wanted to develop it without getting like, you know, yelled at by Pepe the Frog uh, uh, all, all day when I was doing it. So because of that, I, uh, I started a couple websites uh, kind of in the early days, but they were not blogs. Uh, they were like, I was just writing long pieces. And I figured you had I, a kick ass live journal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I had a live journal. I think I was. I put some stuff on uh, uh, on Blogspot. Uh, I think that I had a Friendster profile where I wrote really long captions. <laughs> it was a sad time. Uh, but for me, you know, that that was the fun part for me is you know just being able to write and figure out my voice. And so by the time I started a site with some friends of mine uh, called the Black Table, 
that back in like 2003, 2002, 2003. And around that same time, we were in New York at the time, around that same time, the site started to get a little bit of a small uh, media-focused readership. But around the same time was when Gawker.com launched. And so when Gawker launched, they were reading the site regularly and they saw my work and they asked me if I wanted to do a gambling site for them. Uh, and I told them, well, actually, I think gambling is bad and wrong for the world. And definitely, uh, I'm a terrible person to do your gambling site. But at this point, I was almost 30 years old. I'd crapped out on every little aspect of my career, <laughs> but I was still writing all the time. And so I said, you know, you guys should try a sports site. And so I kind of sketched out how a sports site might, might work. And they said, hey, that's a pretty good idea. We're going to ask so – nobody has any idea who you are. So we're going to ask like 15 people who people actually know who they are if they want to do it, and you could be their assistant. And so to my good fortune, all of them said no. So yes, they just gave this to me. And so I have the advantage of a lot of people that became very successful in the early blog world started their own personal blogs at the time and then like got hired by a larger site. I never had a blog until Deadspin. And so uh, I didn't even have internet access at my house. I would, I would, in my apartment in New York, I would write all of my pieces during the day at my office job and then find a disc to take them to the web cafe to mail them. So I'm very old is the point. And so because you were that, a terrible office worker. Is that what you're saying? I was a terrible office worker. I, the whole point of having a job was just to have internet access. So I, <laughs> so I could work on the things I actually cared about. So I never really, you know, I, I, I was fortunate. I don't think people went to Deadspin because that site became Deadspin, obviously. I don't think people went to Deadspin because, oh, wow, we can't wait to hear what Will Leach has to say about the world news of the day. I just think that I was, uh, I was able to do it full time and I was able to concentrate on making it good. I didn't care about traffic. I didn't have to care about traffic. I was just supposed to do a funny site. And so for me, I think that kind of what I hope is authenticity came across to where I wasn't trying to like sell anybody anything. And I wasn't trying to, to get people to, to push people toward extending my personal brand or something. And so, cause that was kind of what the early days of the web was, you know, it wasn't, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was you were, you were a sellout. If you if you worried about how many people were looking at your site or how many hits you had or how many people were following you or whatever, that was that's what suits did. And so because <laughs> of that, I uh, was able to kind of do the site that I wanted to do and do it that way. And before there was this kind of whole economic uh, structure uh, based around the web. And so I feel like the the long short answer to your question is I was just lucky enough to do a sports blog first. And do it without having to worry about, oh, man, are we upsetting sponsors or how many hits are they? Is we have a good clicky headline? I didn't have to do any of that stuff. I just wrote the way that I just did the site the way I thought it should be. And uh, I got out before I had to do that stuff. So that's the advantage. It's just that I was there first. Yeah, that's, you know, the most interesting part of that is that you just called it a short answer. So that was <laughs> yeah. Sorry, <laughs> no, so the last part was the short answer. To give the short answer to that, that's it. And I got to tell you, every single time like Deadspin pops up on my timeline, the first thing I think is clickbait. So it's yeah. very interesting I, that you feel that way. I, I don't. I I think the idea of clickbait. I to get not to get too macro on this, but I I think the idea of clickbait. Like what clickbait really is. Like it's not really my thing. Like I like I'm too windy. I'm too self-aggrandizing. Like I need like space to do my thing. And I as I don't look at traffic. I don't care about that stuff. Um, I care about enough that like if they don't get enough, they can fire me. But I don't like look at the numbers. I feel like that's all that will do is just drive you crazy. Uh, but I will say that clickbait is one way to look at these things. 
Another way is trying to get people to read your work. And uh, I think sometimes it goes over the line uh, on some of that stuff. You're, anytime you're doing a site of that kind of magnitude, uh, particularly now, like when I did it, it was just me. <laughs> like they have a whole staff. They have like a receptionist. They All have, they like, needed was you, though. You write 15 articles a day. Yeah, but I, you know, now they like do like investigative reports. They have, they have, uh, they have, they, they do like they do real legitimate work yeah, over Hulk there. Hulk Hogan sex tapes, yeah, since yeah. I think that like that, that if you want to go down that realm, uh, <laughs> I'm talking, talking about that. That was also on Gawker. I feel obliged. Yeah, to it was on Gawker. Out. Yeah. That's it. Uh, but that was also like AJ Delorio was the best man at my wedding. So if you're looking for someone to trash AJ Delorio, you will not find that person. <laughs> uh, but uh, I will say that. Um, I think that the stat that they are doing, I think, legitimate work, and they're doing it from perspectives that I could have never had. You know, when I was doing Deadspin, I was just a dumb kid from Mattoon, Illinois, a dumb white kid from Mattoon, Illinois, being like, I have, I want to write about Rick Ankeel today. I want to write about the Illinois basketball team today. And I, and if there was something too uncomfortable, I just wouldn't write about it because I was just trying to write a funny site. They have expanded the scope on a on the site that I would have never imagined they would do. Do they do things I wouldn't have done? Of course. But the reason I had to leave is because first site to get bigger it needed to get more ambitious and i don't want i don't want to be an entrepreneur i never wanted to be an entrepreneur i just wanted to write funny stories and hopefully be able to get to write more stories and so that's been needed to expand beyond that so it's actually my good fortune that they have expanded it so much since i left because now uh if if the person that took over for me from deadspin had just run it into the ground everyone would be like but you used to run what now like what site did you used to sure, run and sure. don't care it is because of their good work and uh, their diligence that it gives me, I guess, any sort of benefit out of it whatsoever. And when you say perspectives that you couldn't have, by that you mean hating Cardinals fans. Uh, certainly. I think that uh, I, this is how that started. If you want to know the background for how that started. I, I did wonder if it was supposed to be like needling you in the beginning and it just snowballed. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah but it snowballed because of Cardinals fans. Like it didn't snowball because of Drew. Drew Drew is, is the scorpion in the boat, man. Like it's like this is what Drew does. Drew writes – uh, he, he's always written Drew McGarry has always written a series about why your team stinks and why yes. your town stinks and so on and he's done them for everything all the time he usually just did them for football because football is his specialty but he wrote one about the Cardinals because he thought it would be funny the way that, that, that you write things to make fun of people because that's what he does the and and I was a part of that. He went a little harder than he usually does at those because he got to poke fun at me because right. I've known Drew forever. Drew was originally a commenter when I was running the site, so I've known Drew for. Drew was at my wedding as well. I've known these guys. I've known these forever. Everyone forever. So he started just kind of making fun of me, but still making fun of fans the way he makes fun of everyone's fans. The difference was everyone got so mad at a higher <laughs> at such a higher proportion than any other teams that he wrote for and of course when you're drew and like of course the first thing you do is like oh i should do this all the time because look how they react to it so the idea that there is this some sort of anti-cardinals thing this would have never ever become a thing if drew hadn't have gotten flooded with so many people angry at him for what he considered and i don't feel this way because i'm closer to the cardinals so i'm more emotional about it but what he considered the same stuff he gives to every fan base the difference was the cardinals fans really were so upset about it that they flooded him with stuff and then that was just pouring fuel on the fire and then after that and frankly not for nothing i do think there are some things that that 
that listen deadspin's larger purpose for better or worse is to call out call bullshit on people and to call out things when when uh, when they they see people doing something wrong or trying to hide behind some sort of corporate thing and i find it difficult to argue as much as i love the st louis cardinals and i love them as much as i love anything in the world uh they both of my children probably it depends on whether or not they've done what they were supposed to do that day but clearly i love the cardinals as much as i love anything in the world but they should be called out on some of the things that get called out they get called on no they uh, are they unfair some is that's been unfair sometimes of course they are. They're a na- they're a national site that's that, that's not going to have the local understanding that a lot of that any local people are going to have. But you know, it, it, this would have never been a thing if it hadn't have been for the Cardinal fans, myself included, by the way, uh, being a maybe a little bit more thin skinned about this stuff than your average fan. Well, look, my entire account is based upon what I consider self depreciating humor, which I don't think comes across because. I think when I make fun of the Cardinals, I'm really th- making fun of myself from years of, of not living near St. Louis. I'm talking to Braves fans and Giants fans, and so making fun of the Cardinals was a way of mocking myself, uh, which on Twitter doesn't look that way. <laughs> you know, we're all Cardinals fans, so it looks like I'm making fun of them. But I'm all I'm all for that. Where it crosses the line is when you get into serious conversations of racism, and it's now tied to rooting for a franchise. And I think that takes a serious problem and does a, it does a huge disservice for it. And those are the only times it bothers me, not when people say that Yadier Molina is overrated, you know, things like that. Um, I th- and, I, and I think that's fair. And one thing that's always frustrated me, it reminds me, frankly, a little bit of when I, I live in Georgia now. I lived in New York for 13 years and I moved to Georgia five years ago. And the number of people from my friends of New York that would say to me, wow, like, is it really racist down there? I'm like, I don't know. I literally just watched a video of one of your cops choking a black man. Right. I know. I know. Like you're the idea that like it's that kind of tribalism of oh things are okay in my world it's you guys that are screwed up that I agree no I think that is totally fair but I also think that but up, up this way like when they put up that video of those Black Lives Matters protesters getting shouted down outside Bristol and some of the nasty stuff that were said that wasn't that's been going after the Cardinals that was something that should have been seen by people I'm no, sorry that's, and that that is and, news. For, and, for whatever uh, news it's and, worth. And, but but when you end that video with, so go Dodgers, I agree. I agree. Right. I think you're missing the point of that. Right. I think that's totally fair. Right. This is this is not about rooting for a team or, you know, you suddenly become racist because you're a Cardinals fan or something like that. No, this is if, – if you're going to combat racism as a serious problem, you need to go to the roots of it, which have nothing to do with what a franchise is uh, in sports or anything like that. And so it, it, that's actually – I don't even think it matters that it's the Cardinals. That's the part of it that irks me. But I grew up uh, in Georgia most of my life. So uh, my where, where perspective – where, where are you from? Well, I went to school at UGA. Okay, yeah. Good Yeah. Girl. So, um, discuss this, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Woodstock, if you know where Woodstock is, it's about two mm-hmm. hours from UGA. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I spent a lot of time in Gainesville. I spent all, uh, Helen, I used to work for Georgia Power, so I know the entire state. Okay. Um, so uh, I'm good with it. Oh, what brought you what, to Athens, if, by the way? If you don't, if you don't mind me asking, uh, I, my, my father was a lineman that did work for a substation. What did you do for Georgia Power? I, uh, <laughs> so my dad uh, was a draftsman for Georgia Power. Uh, he's now in economic development over there, but he knew all the linesmen, so that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, my, um, my favorite my, when I was a kid, there's a great picture of me wearing my dad's hat that says, "If you ain't a lineman, you ain't shit." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like six years old, and very, very. I think my mom was very mad at him for. I don't know if you have to bleep that, but I don't know if my mom was very mad at him for for having that. So you, you, no, you cuss but, all you want. That's what they expect okay. in this quality of a set. <laughs> but uh, no, so I moved to Georgia five years ago because you know I. 
we had a son uh, in New York, my older son, William, uh, named after my father, William Bryan. And, uh, William we, Jennings Bryan? Or? Not William, William Bryan Leach. William okay. Bryan. He is uh, not my father is a wonderful man, but he is not that powerful of an orator. <laughs> but I would say that he. Uh, uh, so we moved to to New York because basically what happened was I had taken a job. I worked in New York Magazine. I left Deadspin to go work for New York Magazine, where I still write uh, for for New York Magazine. But uh, I, I knew once we had our first son, and you know my wife and I are, are pushing the stroller up and down the subway, and just all of it. Like, I love New York City, but it's, it's just really, really difficult. And it was starting to get really pricey, and so we're like, you know what, let's. Let's. Uh, let, I think we're ready. I, I'd be ready if she's from the south. I'm from. I'm from. Uh, obviously, Mattoon. So we were both. We never kind of imagined raising children in New York anyway. So we actually looked around. We looked at Austin. We looked at Charleston. We we're looking for somewhere in the. In, uh, I wanted to live in a college town, and Athens kind of answered everything that we had. You know, I've worked at a home. My wife is a decorator. She works at a home. So to be able to just buy a house and have the kids, and then we have a, we have another son, Win, and we have uh, to have a house and a yard and normal things that all the normal comforts that are very difficult to come by in New York uh, for someone that works at a home and really just needs an office where he can shut the door and work all the time it was a godsend I love it here I'll be it'll be five years in June that I've been out here it is a wonderful town it is one of the best decisions I've ever made and one of my worries when I left New York was like, well, I work in media. Is everyone going to forget me? And the industry has turned to the point that they actually like people that can work fi- uh, fast and cheap. And so Absolutely. I'm very good at those things. So uh, it works out very well for me. I And I loved I loved living there. I, I, um, I, I'm actually disappointed that you've only been there for five years because, of course, I was there you know, 15 to 20 years ago when I was in school. And so it, I know how quickly that town changes, that what you and I have seen are completely different things. But I saw I saw REM do like political concerts on the steps of the courthouse. Oh, and all that oh that's awesome! Yeah. That's awesome. I had, I've become I, I've become friends here with uh, Burtis Downs. Oh, have you? Yeah, I used to yeah. watch him walking in and out of the office of it over there and think, you know, REM was my favorite band, and I was like, you know, that's Burtis Downs. Who's that? Uh, never mind. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, okay, fine. He's their he's their manager, but it's cooler than that. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and he is. He's an absolutely great guy. And and you know, I I had a good friend of mine who's a writer that came to visit me. I had dinner with her in New York in Athens one night when she was here on a book tour. And literally, uh, Mike Mills and Michael Stipe walked by our table while we were eating. I was like, oh yes, this happens all the time. Yeah. In Athens. Yeah. Constantly, REM just floating around. And that's generally like that. that uh, I was pleased that that happened that night. But yeah, I love it here. I hopefully some point my children will get old enough that I could actually go see some of these concerts. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. It's, it's still great music here. Uh, the first Christmas parade I ever took my son to, uh, Cracker was playing off the back of a truck. So like the so the the band Cracker, uh, who's who's the lead singer of Cracker, his wife owns the Forty Watt here, the great music club here. Yes, so very I, famous I, well, for I, the three my, people out there who have heard of it in Cardinal Yes, Nation. but my first my kid's first ever uh, Christmas parade featured "You're a Trash Girl" played off the back of a truck. I was like, <laughs> okay. I think I'm in the right place. So that's Christmas right there. Now I was on. I got to play on stage with Widespread Panic when I was there. Um, Jennifer Neville's oh, yeah. band, who of course has gone on to very famous things um, with uh, whatever that band is, like country band that she's in now. Yeah. But yeah, yeah no, it was it was a great great place, and uh, and the great. I think the great closed, didn't it? Michael Stipe's restaurant. Oh no, it's back. It's back. It's oh, back. it's back. The greatest still. The greatest still are back in in normal time. Uh, normal time's a little too like that's. I have two small children. Who like whose whose mother likes them to wear kind of like cute clothes? So we're not allowed in normal town, <laughs> but uh, but we'll be I'll, I'll be able to get back once I can get my my uh, my grunge back. 
And now, and, and GIFs, go ahead and you can edit out the last 15 minutes, I think. Yeah, sorry um, about that. Sorry. Because yeah, <laughs> it's no, nobody, nobody out there in, uh, in St. Louis is going to care about UGA. But it is fun to talk with someone because I really haven't. I, I left in, I think, 2005 and I haven't been back over there. Um, and I miss. That's that's a great come town. For, to come in. for a Brave series. I was at, to switch this back to the Cardinals, my son's first game ever was that game, was Tommy Pham. I remember Tommy Pham came back for that first series last year. Yep. Yeah, that was when he got called up. And my son, my my, my son, uh, he'd been to games before, but he'd never been to a Cardinals game because Cardinals games were sacred. Like you can't, like if it's we're going to see the Braves play the Nationals on like a Sunday afternoon. If he needs to leave in the fifth inning, we're going to go. But he's not leaving a Cardinals game early. So he, we all built him up. We're so excited. Absolutely, you got to stay to the end. And if, remember that game went fourteen innings. Yeah, <laughs> that game went fourteen innings. And I was there. Yeah. Oh, oh, you were there. I you were at there. that game. <laughs> Oh yeah, we were there. It was wonderful, wonderful game. And to this day, uh, Tommy Pham is my son's favorite player, which is awesome because Tommy Pham is great. Well, so the very sad part of this story, and I'm going to have to admit this now, and thank God, only 35 people are going to listen. Uh, the year before the Cardinals ended the season, mm-hmm. not, I mean, the year before, the year they won 100 games, they ended the season in Atlanta. So um, it was it was cold and raining, and actually one of the games was canceled. So the next day they had a doubleheader right before they went off to to get crushed by the Cubs. And I went to the doubleheader. I sat front row because there was 2,000 people there, maybe, uh, right behind the Cardinals' dugout, sat for all 18 innings. The Cardinals scored zero runs (laughs) over those 18 innings. At the end of the game, there were two little girls, Braves fans, sitting next to me. And I mean little, like two, three. No, I think it was just one little girl. I think I just made the story worse than it actually is because that would be unforgivable. Tommy Pham throws both of his batting gloves up on the dugout. The little to the little girl. The little girl next to me takes one batting glove. I gave it a good four second count before I said, "Okay, well, I'm going to take the other batting glove." And I got out of there and felt like the biggest jerk on earth. But I have Tommy Pham's batting glove. Yeah, you you chose. You did the right thing. Yeah, (laughs) I'll never see this little girl again. That's fine. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So anyway, listening to you and Bernie, you're very optimistic about this year. Like surprisingly optimistic. From from what I've read about your kind of uh, trust in a Mathidi-led ball club over the past few years. Well, I do think that, listen, one of the subplots of every Cardinal season really since 2012 has been, okay, how can Mo Matheny-proof the team? <laughs> and you've seen it. Every, maybe 2012, it was like, okay, we know there's going to be some training wheels. There's going to be some stuff for him to figure out. But it's funny how every year, you know, the there's the year where – he gives he he gives Matheny a lot of flexibility, a lot of different options, and then it stops, uh, and now we're back and, to it. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, the, and yeah, and that that year, Matheny never used any of his options. Totally got confused and sat guys <laughs> for weeks at a time. So Mo's like, okay. I'll just give you guys set roles, and I'll give that to Matheny. What happens? He runs all the guys into the ground, and we get into the 2015 playoffs, and no one can stand. So this year, the Matheny proofing is Okendo and Maddox, uh, and particularly Maddox. And I would say that the two things that make me optimistic, I don't suddenly think that Matheny is going to start understanding even like basic rudimentary strategy. I think that that moment has passed. But I do think that, A, uh, there is an understanding that there are stakes. There needs to be urgency. If they don't make the playoffs this year, he's going to be in trouble. And even Mike Matheny has to know that. And so uh, for Mo, I think to bring in 
uh, to get rid of some of Matheny's guys, everybody but Mabry, who I, I assume is just welded to the dugout at right. this point. Um, everybody but Mabry's gone, and he brings in these outside guys, and he brings in Okindo, who, listen, the, if this were New York, there would be all there would be a million clubhouse stories about fights that they had at some point. Instead, we just kind of have this vague sense that Matheny and Okindo are not necessarily always been on the same page about a lot of things. And to bring Okindo back in, to let him know he had the authority to do a lot of things, and then to essentially give the pitching staff over to Maddox, which is basically what they're doing. This is, you know, this is the coach proofing right this is the manager proofing and this is the direction baseball is going like Aaron Boone is the manager of the Yankees because he's good on television like that's literally why he's manager of the team he think he's basically a public relations person for the Yankees because the front office is making the lineups is giving him the roster is telling him what to do what they needed from that job was someone to look the part of manager and to answer reporters questions let's, now, that's the, interesting I, how you say that because let, let's face it you, and there's been a million articles on it what is the toughest part of a manager's job often it boils down to how you use your bullpen well, let's uh, be kind to Mike Matheny and say that's probably not his number one strength. And so when it comes to giving away the pitching staff, it's kind of like, well, what does he do now? Yeah, well, which is okay. <laughs> I agree. I, I mean, I totally agree. And listen, it's an imperfect system. I would argue that the best way to make sure that Matheny doesn't screw things up is to have him not be the manager. But if you're not going to do that, because he does clearly have a mind meld with DeWitt and the ownership group. They love Matheny. They're all, listen, we can all, we can argue why that is. If there are, if there's a sociopolitical aspect to it, if there's a sensibility aspect, even if there's a religious aspect to it. I just think it's the dreamy eyes. It's possible. It's it's the it's certainly the jaw. Though it's weird because I feel like Matheny's going to have that jaw when he's like seventy. <laughs> like he's still going to have that jaw. He's, he's, he's a dreamy dude. Uh, <laughs> but I I do think I mean the eyes are still going to be kind of vacant. <laughs> but uh, but uh, the jaws are the jaws still going to be there. I would say that short uh, if you can't convince Dewitt to change managers or more accurately convince Dewitt to make a major change. Like this is not. This is not something DeWitt's ever had to do under this ownership group. There's never been a time where they fired a guy midseason or hit the panic button on anything. They're all about being as conservative and and prudent and I think with good results. I understand why they've been like that. But I think getting uh, Matheny fired is going to require a total blow up and a total uh, we gave you a lot of these things and you couldn't do it. And so I think what what Mo has finally done – is he's been able to like his way of of Matheny proofing this year's roster because the best way of Matheny proof is to get rid of Matheny. But if you can't do that, and I honestly don't think that he can, I think that at least now I think this is this is the best way you can do that. And and the other the other part that's encouraging is for the first time that I can remember, Matheny seems to acknowledge this a little bit. He certainly uh, there's been plenty of opportunities that reporters have kind of given him to do what you'd expect Matheny to do, which is, I'm the manager of this team. The buck stops here. All the tough guy, little league Matheny manifesto stuff that we're all kind of used to. And he hasn't really taken the bait. He's really kind of always been, I'm comfortable with my job. I'm so happy that we have all of these people here. He's been kind of upfront about some of the decision-making processes. That kind of push and pull, like, I'm the manager of this team. They're the, that, the front office takes care of what they do, and I take care of what I do, which we've seen in the past 
so far, and it's only spring, but so far we've seen him say the right things if just because he understands that his job is now actually on the line. So that's what makes me optimistic about Matheny. What makes me optimistic about the Cardinals is I think the lineup is really good. I think this is like one of the best lineups the Cardinals have had in the last 10 years. I really think this lineup is potentially terrific top to bottom with enough uh, with enough guys like Martinez and enough guys like uh, some of those other outfielders that can come in and fill in. And if the bullpen is not in charge of is not Matheny is not in charge of the bullpen. I think there are enough mix and match uh, spots and mix and match guys to actually make it to actually make it work without an established closer. Again, this is famous last words, but I think Matheny is going to stay out of the way. That was a very stupid thing to say. And I, I hope you're supporting. <laughs> But I uh, so far he is acting like someone who's going to Gips, stand. edit that out. We do not want to embarrass him later <laughs> on. Because uh, do you remember the famous? I think it was a FanGraphs article on Mike Matheny before he started in 2012. He'd been hired on, and how much he talked about the love of analytics and how the game was changing. Mm-hmm, and course. he thought, this is our sabermetric manager coming in. Exactly. And, and like, he was so good with young players. He played so recently and he's so good with young players. That turned out that of all the things he's bad at being good with young players might've actually been the worst. Like that might've actually been the thing he was worst at. And that's, I think you're right. I think that good feeling and all those wins that you had because Mosey, like gave him such a good roster made get, I, the problem is I think it made Matheny think he was the guy that did that. And I think that led to the stubbornness, and that led to really what's been two pretty brutal years from him. I, I, brutal years, but I, I'm I'm just beyond I'm beyond having faith. I think oh, that's, that that fair. That's yeah. totally fair. That's totally fair. He's so this is interesting. You're an MLB.com writer now. I, I don't know who your boss is. I don't know how it tears up, but to me, that would make it a little bit more scary to criticize various things in MLB. Like, I don't expect you to, to burn a Manfred uh, picture in effigy or something like that. But... Um, I, I would not do that anyway, but uh, but but the, I'll put it this way. Uh, Sports on Earth was owned by MLB. Like, Sports on Earth has been owned by MLB for the last three years. Like, I basically did not have to change even my insurance. <laughs> we switched over from Sports on Earth to MLB. So if you can read the stuff I've written... Uh, uh, here's the two things I can say. If you can read the stuff I've had for the last three years and feel like there was ever a time where I was pulling punches on Mike Matheny or anyone else, I would like to hear it. And secondly, there's never been a once in the entire time, either at Sports Earth or at MLB, where someone's told me not to write something. That's that's so, great to hear. But I, so, I didn't wonder not, – not that you're necessarily pulling punches, but I mean like Mike Tyson can pull a punch and it's going to land hard. you know. Uh, so my question then would be when did you lose it, Mike? When did it go from a this is a new guy who still – we got to give him time to develop. He's going to learn it to – that's it. I don't think this is ever going to happen for him. Uh, it was uh, – th- I, listen, I was very frustrated. Uh, I was frustrated in 12, man. So was <laughs> and, I. And, and that, that team got farther than they should have. And I, and I, but I was willing to do the – listen, even Mosaic had said at the beginning, this guy's going to get better. Let's just give it, the, the, give, it the, give it the learning curve. And it felt like there were a lot of things – I think I – 14 really start to finish – was kind of a disaster for him. And I think it's because 13 wasn't good, but 13, he, 13, the team was so good and they got to the World Series and they had Carlos and Rosenthal. And I, I was at that game at Fenway Park, uh, that game two, where Carlos and Rosenthal just shut them down. And like, wow, we are, this is a, like, I can't, this team is so this fun. This is the future, right? This is it, right. And it just really felt like it was all set up. And 14 was just, I think, 
the, the as I kind of noted earlier, I think the first two years they had so much success that Matheny felt emboldened. I think uh, he started acting like Larusa without all of the good stuff that Larusa does. <laughs> and listen, Larusa was there long enough that he started driving everybody pretty crazy at the end. I after the after the Rasmus trade, I was just like, get this old man away from my guys <laughs> before he ruins them. Because I and obviously that tar- trade turned out horribly for the Cardinals. No, <laughs> awful. <laughs> Wish they wouldn't have done that. That's awful. But but certainly at the time that it happened, that was I think the universal consensus. Oh yeah, uh, we were all screaming about it. Uh, yeah. on, on that move. So, you know, to me after 13, Matheny tried to assert himself as the leader of the team. And that was when everything started going wrong. <laughs> like, that really was everything going And I say that saying that, yes, they won 100 games in 2015, should have won 103, but you had to watch right. the last three games. Um, uh, but clearly, you saw even toward the end of that season, you saw how Peralta was toast, and you saw the way he was using the bullpen. You saw the weird stuff he was doing with some of the bullpen guys and, 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 and the weird stuff he was doing with Wong and just like, just some weird, just you, it's, you started to get a sense that this was becoming, not only was he making mistakes, he was repeating his mistakes almost as a way to prove that, no, trust me, I'm right. Like he was like purposely. Oh yeah. There was some doubling down going on. And that was, but I will say if there's, you're looking for an actual moment where I was like, this guy is unsalvageable. I mean, I think it's hard to argue it is at the Waka moment, right? Like that is that is a Grady Little esque. Like a lot of franchises would have fired him the next. Day. <laughs> like in all honesty, a lot of them would have fired him the next day. It's one of the stupidest things I've ever seen a manager do, <laughs> and 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 I and so the idea, it was just insane. Like there was forget like you you can't even argue like oh I had a punch he was going to be good everybody knew waka wasn't ready and 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 he had and, two weeks. And, and, and it was like why isn't he pitching right what if you need him put him in when you're down six one or right. something and give he, him an inning and it was it was and, and he kept saying no i'm just he's, i'm saving his bullets as if like pitches are bullets they are not <laughs> pitches and he was just so kind of far gone at that point that at that moment i was like i i mean i think a lot of as i said a lot of franchises would have fired him right then his explanation afterward made no sense and so yeah uh and i think the last two years the last three years you've seen uh have you've seen the byproduct of that and that and I hope I'll put it this way. The only thing that makes me feel the reason I have the optimism about him this year and optimism is probably a little bit too strong of a word. But the reason I feel better about the possibility of him staying out of the way is you sense a little bit. There's got to be some fear in him now. Right. Like and listen, I'm always very cautious of um, bringing in people's off field lives for their on field stuff. Uh, so I would say that Mike Matheny has had moments in his life where uh, he thought he was invincible and then was quickly proven otherwise and uh, and could do no wrong. I'm, I'm treading carefully, but I think we kind of know what I'm referring to in that regard. Yeah, you're <laughs> treading carefully to something I joke about all the time. Yeah, okay. I know, I'm, yeah, but – uh, uh, I'm just always wary of doing too much stuff. It just feels mean, but <laughs> – um, but I mean, but I will say that uh, uh, he, the guy at least seems to 
has to have a sense of his own mortality in that regard. And I think if anything, this off season, if it's clear, someone said, get it together or you're gone. And he appears to have at least temporarily gotten that message. Yeah. So I hope you're right. I will tell you that I lost faith in Matheny before the, the walk incident. So I feel like I'm driving this train. Uh, I watched him live in a game uh, with Lance Lynn getting shelled in Miami and then with two runners on in like the fourth inning, right? So we got to keep our pitcher for the win. He let Lance Lynn hit for himself. And I thought, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Lance Lynn clearly doesn't have it and you want to have a chance to win this game. And Lance Lynn promptly singled one of his three or four hits of the year and drove in two runs. And of course the Cardinals won. And I, <laughs> you know, all the fans around me were going, see, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, he knows what he's doing because he left Lance Lynn up there. But there were incidents. I was there. Um, that was the Miami series. I don't know if you remember when he screwed up the lineup card. And so oh. Joe Kelly ended up having to pinch it <laughs> eventually. Right. And of course, what did Joe Kelly do? He got a single and drove in the winning run. You want to talk about devil magic, it's the guy in the dugout. Because it's almost like he knows the move ahead of time that he's got to make, even though it makes zero sense statistically, and they end up winning. But um, I don't know what's going with this. My fear, so last year, Moseliak goes out there, and he talks to the media, and he says sometime, I want to say in earlier mid-July, or or no, 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 it was in June, all of our jobs are on the line. This is a bad situation. And, you know, including myself, two weeks later, Mosaliak was promoted. <laughs> so, so, and I, I believe that, that Mo can probably see, like, the, the most dastardly conspiracy theory I can get out of Mosaliak is when we're talking about him making the franchise around Matheny, is almost like he thinks making franchises or making rosters is too easy. So he's in a game and he's like, I'm going <laughs> to let the, let the opponent get up 8 nothing, and then I'll see if I can still win. It's like, that's how I think he builds rosters now. Like, what can I do to still make a good roster and have Matheny manage it? But I haven't heard the front office, who everybody is in agreement, is the real supporters of Mike Matheny. I haven't heard the urgency message from the front office, who are very good at speaking publicly, who knows what goes on behind closed doors. But the urgency that I will hear from Mo doesn't extend up to ownership. That's, that's my fear there. Yeah, and I think that's fair. And frankly, this is a complaint around a lot of baseball right now, uh, not just the Cardinals, is that owners are frankly making so much money <laughs> right now that have nothing to, that, in a way that's completely disconnected from on-field performance that there's not a lot of urgency for any of them to really go go forth and, and, and try to win right now because you're making a lot of money anyway. The, the, be, the best way to get people to want to try to win is to connect it to attendance. And people will stop coming to games if your team doesn't win. Right now, baseball teams don't have to worry about that. There's just so no, much money in the game, uh, especially that, now with TV, uh, right? Exactly. Yeah, TV, and then and then the, the sale of Bam Tech to ESPN has given a bunch of money for, to, to teams. So there's just so much money in the game now. There's not a lot of that urgency, and you know, I still feel. However, I would give them the credit to this to say that there has not been a time uh, in. 20 years where you've gone into a season more than 20 years i would say probably before mcguire got there there hasn't been a time in 20 years where you went into the season thinking oh the cardinals are just not going to compete this year they're just not going to be they're going to this is going to be over by who are we going to trade the trade deadline like there just has not been a season the last time i remember thinking really heavily about the trade deadline 
was 2011. And I was like, hey, they're gonna trade yeah. Berkman. So like the idea that that uh, every other team in sports, every other team in baseball, including the Yankees, by the way, have had a step back moment, and the in the last 20 years, and the Cardinals haven't. Now, on one hand, that makes you worry because look what the Cubs and Astros have done. They took a big step back and succeeded. On the other hand, I do think I wouldn't say the benefit of the doubt because I think Matheny has actually used up a lot of that for him all by himself, but I do think there is some credit that has to be extended a little bit to the idea that this competing on the fly is something that most teams don't even try, and the Cardinals have been doing it for for 20 years uh i also think that because of that their insistence on doing that allowed the cubs to catch them and pass them and i think that's a reason a lot of fans are upset and that's totally justified but i do kind of appreciate uh the fact is i just i don't remember the last like since i've been a grown adult out of college there's not been a time where i went into a season thinking yep we're gonna suck i'm one of my best friends here in athens is a baltimore orioles fan <laughs> like his life sucks man and, and at least he has a team that's trying to compete a little bit but imagine you know being a team of uh, of the a fan of the padres you know and like caring about as much about the padres the, the padres as- have hosmer now Will. Oh yeah, so yeah they're gonna be awesome. Right, they're gonna be awesome. They, got le- they finally have the leadership that they needed for their young there you players. Go. Uh, but Matt, like, it's hard. Like, we it is worth remembering that every year we get to say this team can compete, or I'm going to be really mad at them because I expect them to. Not every team gets to say that, and we've been able to say that now for for two decades. Especially not a mid market team, which is what has made St. Louis so amazing. But the frustration comes in for me, and I don't know how much personal frustration you feel because, of course, once you get into into the perspective realm, you go, "Well, they're the most successful team in National League history." Well, they've had championships recently in our lifetime, earlier in our lifetime. They 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 were competitive on, in in the Anheuser Busch years. They were, you know. The, this is they won, a, they won the 2011 World Series in the most exciting way possible. Yeah, they won the best right that and that was it. You knew at that moment uh, in Game Six, and at least when it was sealed in Game Seven, that you have seen the best game you'll ever see in your life. I think you know. I'm funny. Do you think about? I think about that sometimes. The idea that like, wow, I it's just I don't know if it's ever going to get better than this. Like, no, as a, well, as yeah. a Cardinals fan, well, the, but in 2011 alone. The odds of them making the playoffs. I remember Tony Larusa joking in the last week of the season that he was going to appeal to Bud Sealing to get that second wild card in this year because yeah. the last week of the season it was still improbable that they would make the playoffs. And, and that they, team was infuriating all oh, year until they made that run. And they until had they made that right. run. They were absolutely infuriating. Right, which makes you want to go back and watch every single game over again because you want to go through that pain to get to the pleasure. <laughs> but there was there were, he gave the speeches like a month before the end of the season apologizing to people that it wasn't the team they, they thought they had this year and that they weren't going to pull it off. And then they make the playoffs, and who do they play? The, the Holiday Leave Phillies? Are you kidding me? <laughs> In a short series? You, you're not going to beat them. And then who do they play after that? They play the the powerhouse Brewers who beat them by ten games and had uh, Niger Morgan bragging up and down the walls. Are you kidding me? And the Rangers? I don't know. I, maybe it's just my uh, uh, like a pessimism, but I felt like the Cardinals were tremendous underdogs that entire ride that that went through the playoffs. And and I never I, every single step they made, even to the point where Hamilton hitting that home run in game six made me go, I, I was still satisfied with the team. I was oh, like, yeah. they, they, this was as far as they could make it. And that's awesome. 
Yeah, I agree. I agree, and that's but that, that's per, like that's the platonic ideal of being a sports fan, right? Like not to get so forgive me, but I'm gonna go back to Georgia for a moment, so everyone come back from the that's Georgia right. conversation. Well, we, again, we can edit. But no, I think this is worthwhile. This is actually t- telling to what we're talking about. Georgia football. I have a, I have a newsletter, uh, tinyletter.com. Slash I can't believe you have a newsletter. I do. I have a newsletter, and I write every 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 Saturday the links to all the pieces I wrote. And I wrote a while back. My topic of the newsletter was like just truly sports teams that I followed start to finish that had that special season because Georgia kind of had that this year. Georgia finally, had, like finally might big add. football season, except they didn't win at all. And so the problem is they're now you can't have that year again. Now you're expected to win. Right now, Georgia, they better at least win the SEC championship this year, or the seal season is going to be a disappointment. They came into this season as an underdog, so every victory felt special and unexpected and wonderful. And you only get to do that once. And that was was so so great about 2011 was it was over and everything just felt like a surprise. And another great thing about 11, by the way, was I could finally admit that 2006 was kind of lame. I could (laughs) never admit that to myself because I was there. I was at game five and it was what was with my parents and it was raining and it was beautiful and it was all these wonderful things. And it wasn't until they won in 2011 I could admit like, okay, that series wasn't that great. And it was kind of weird that Jeff Weaver was so awesome. It was kind of weird (laughs) that Chris Pitchers throw the ball away or reach. Yeah, Yeah. and like Chris Duncan might have been the second best hitter on the team. Like you'd finally like take a step back and realize, okay, there's you could because there was another title, I could finally accept it. Tigers in three, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, so the, the other last Cardinals year where they really failed, that they were that magical team, uh, 2002. They yeah, oh, they won 100 games in the other years, and you know, in 2004 and 2005, but that wasn't the – like you said, there wasn't that underdog special feeling. 2002 when Daryl Kyle died. And, right. and for the first time in my life, the outside world didn't hate Cardinals fans <laughs> and they were, it was America's team and everybody was on their side and they felt that one was hard for me. Yeah. They were playing bonds too. That was, yeah. Like, you know, mm-hmm. on their side. Right. Of all the, of all the people, 2002, uh, but the Cardinals, they've been extremely successful through our lifetimes for sure. The frustrating part of, uh, 2016 and 17 was the Cubs came back in 2015. They won 97 games. The Cardinals may have won 100, but the Cubs were right there. And you knew that if you were going to compete against this new Cubs thing, you had to have that urgency that said, we need to make every game count in April. We need to make every game count in May. And instead, the Cardinals have had plenty of this time, right? We let Trevor Rosenthal blow so many saves in that, that game in Seattle where he gives up the huge home run where everybody knew it was going to happen because he clearly wasn't right at that moment. Mm-hmm. I was at that game. Right. I think you at every game? What is that? Uh, I took my parents to. Uh, they had they had their anniversary that year, and so we we took a road trip. We went to Seattle for that series, and uh, Adam Lind, I believe, was the one that hit that home run. And I'm still I'm still sore about that. One. And, and Rosenthal should have never been in that game. Yeah. He just shouldn't yeah. have. Everybody knew exactly what was going to happen. And what did they do? They finished the game out of the playoffs. And you could point to these various different things where it was like you didn't. And the Cardinals have had this before. They've had other years where they kind of struggle out of the gate and end up winning 98 games, but they didn't realize. In 2016, you can't count on that anymore. You can't count on you can go 12 and 13 in April and still win, end up 95 and 67 on the year. This is the when you're you're these this Cubs team is really really good. These playoff teams, if you're going to make it, you got to play like every game counts. 
And I didn't see that same thing in 2017 either, uh, especially uh, maybe that's unfair because, I mean, we did get speeches 12 games into the season about how terrible things were going when they started 3-9. and nine. But the, there wasn't that feeling of we better come out of the gate strong. And maybe, maybe it's just because they didn't. But that's what I'm waiting for for this 2018 team. And that's what I want to see is I want to see the knowledge that the Cubs are going to win 95 games this year. Now, maybe you're not going to win 95 games. They won't. But you've got to have the urgency to know you're fighting for that wild card spot or better amongst the entire rest of the league. And you've been a kind of middling team for two years now. What are you going to do to fix it? And this was my frustration with the offseason. Everybody kind of agrees it was a solid offseason for the Cardinals. But when you see Lance Lynn, who, okay, maybe he's not going to be great going for one year and $12 million. There were so many different ways they could bolster that depth. They have... Uh, they've already got Flaherty, who's, who's coming out uh, the depth of the starting rotation now. They have a few bullpen arms. <laughs> we, we lost Jason Mott somehow. Um, and I think I think it was uh, Jose Ortiz, right, who wrote in the dispatch that Flaherty should be tried out a closer. Well, the reason he couldn't be tried out a closer is because there wasn't enough starting pitching depth. And you're going to have a time when you're going to be missing one or two or three starters at a time because this is what pitchers do now. So you, you don't go into a season with a five-man ro- rotation. You go into a season with a seven- or eight-man rotation so that you're ready to plug those in. And I felt like there was so much easy depth this year if you were really serious about making sure holes were plugged that the Cardinals could have put themselves in a much better position to be stable with their depth. I don't know. I, I feel that way more about the rotation than the bullpen, which is to say, you know, the way people are building their bullpens now, they're not. this is the this is why Greg Holland was so silly for turning down the the, the qualifying offer. Uh, Lynn should have turned it down. It didn't work out for him, but he, he's, he made the right call. Holland, people aren't paying for closers who had bad second halves. Right, they're that was the, and, that's and an absurdly just, good deal for a closer with a good year. Yeah, so like the idea that, uh, and when it comes to Lynn, by the way, sure, I think the Cardinals would have been delighted to sign Lynn for twelve one year and twelve million dollars, but that was just never an option. That was even an option when the when when the Twins did it. Like the Cardinals can't give him that contract uh, because uh, uh, the way it is right now. Like the Cardinals can't that because of the qualifying offer. It's not like they can just go and say, okay, well, we'll give him thirteen. I and frankly, I don't know why Lynn would want to give the Cardinals any sort of favor anyway uh, after that. So I feel like. I, th- I think it is worth remembering two things. One, I think remember after they signed Ozuna, after they traded for Ozuna, there was this idea that they were going to make another move. They were going to make another move. Particularly, they were going to make another move for the offense. I think yeah. that was that was the idea. They, they were, were the Machado offense. rumors and such. Yeah, and I and from all accounts, they gave a pretty solid effort at both of those guys. Clearly, like I would feel I would be less inclined to give the Cardinals any credit about that if Machado or Donaldson would have gotten traded to somebody else this offseason. Right. Nobody met Clearly, the neither the Orioles, nobody, the Orioles and Blue Jays were absolutely not motivated to move either one of those guys. I would argue they probably should have been, particularly the Orioles, but they weren't. So what can you do at that point? I would rather them at that point, once they made the big shot, at, the, at one of those guys, and I, from all, I really do think they did. Um, if you didn't get those guys, I'd rather them then not go. Well, we gotta spend something. How about Mustakis? How about Hosmer? Or you know, or or something like that. I'd rather them not do that. I agree. There was some low hanging fruit on the pitching ideas, but no one that was just like, oh, well, this obvious. Like Lynn, sure, we all have good thoughts about Lynn. He was awesome for the Cardinals, but 
Cardinals and Linthing was not happening after that qualifying offer. Like they, they didn't really talk about it. Maybe, maybe it was a mistake for the Cardinals to do that. But what, it, even once the price started to go down on Lynn, the Cardinals were not getting Lynn. Like that, that was done. That bridge was burned. And so after that, Arietta didn't go for cheap. I'm glad they didn't pay for Arietta. Darvish didn't go for cheap. I'm glad they didn't pay, they pay for him. I'd rather them not go try to get an Alex Cobb or someone like that. Maybe you can argue, okay, well, maybe they should have gone after Archer. Archer's still pitching for Tampa Bay. Like the idea that they got outbid or they weren't willing to go to a certain level that other teams were, uh, I think the Cardinals could use some depth in the rotation, but I don't think that the ideal person was there other than maybe Lynn. And that was the one guy that uh, like the one deal that I think would have made sense for the Cardinals that any of those pitchers got, they shouldn't have given the Cobb deal. They shouldn't give the area the deal. Shouldn't give the Darvish deal. The one deal that made sense was Lynn, the one guy that was never going to happen. Like it was just, it was just not going to happen. And so it's also worth remembering transactions are not frozen. <laughs> like we, there are still, I think there are still options as the season goes along, if it gets to July, I think in the last two years, the Cardinals have not been that active at the deadline. And I would argue smartly so. <laughs> I would argue wisely so they haven't done so. This feels like a year, if you're going to make a deadline deal, you call back on Machado or you call back on on, on Donaldson or you call back on Archer. The I still feel like there's room for to make a move like that. But listen, I think of the last two times I've been very frustrated with the Cardinals for not going out and getting the guy I wanted them to get. Those two guys were Jason Hayward and David Price. <laughs> yeah, I know, right, like right. And both of them, they didn't get either one of those guys. And now I am so relieved that they didn't get either one of those guys. So I think, again, I'm not, benefit of the doubt is too strong, but I do think a, all right, let's see what we've got here and see how much we need to push I think makes some some sense at this point. So let me let me play the devil's advocate here as far as far as finances go, because you're right. They, so you Darvish may not be worth money. Arietta may not be worth the money. In fact, Arietta may not even be that solid of a pitcher anymore. But the Cardinals seem so flushed with cash that they could literally throw away one of those big contracts. They could literally sign someone who ends up being a Danny Jackson for them, and it really wouldn't hurt the team to maneuver at all. Yes, but it might hurt them from making that contract to somebody next year for someone that they like more. And I agree, they could survive one of those contracts. But why? <laughs> like, what? if they're not sure about a guy, they shouldn't spend it just to spend it because eventually you may be more sure about a guy. Like, they were like, clearly the idea of, like, look at the Fowler contract. That was a guy, for better or worse. And listen, I think Fowler's going to be fine. I love Dexter Fowler. I think that contract is, it, we're two years into a five years. We'll see how it looks in three years. But so far, I don't feel like that contract was a bad contract. I feel like that thing may work out okay. And if it doesn't, it's not going to be a disaster. But that's a guy, that's them spending. Like, that was them spending. They spent above what, frankly, some other teams would have paid because they felt, A, confident about him and feel like felt, and B, felt like they really, really needed him. That is, to me, how you flex your payroll muscle. What you don't do is say, hey, you know what? We can afford Darvish. Like we could pay it. We might. We we could totally absorb this contract if it blows up. I, I, I have no doubt that they could. But maybe you can't absorb the next one. And for See, me, that, I, I don't know that they can not absorb the next one though. I mean, so we're paying Yadi or Molina twenty million dollars a year the next three years to be the oldest starting catcher. That basically, I mean, if he plays decent, if he plays like he did this last year, I think the move is a steal because. He's uh, catchers do not catch at his age. They just don't. 
full-time catchers at his age basically don't exist. And here we are paying him $20 million million a year to do it. Well, to me, that's almost like an immediate sunk cost that the team is doing. And yet they still expect to compete through all this. Yeah, I I I don't I think that's probably unfair to say a, a, a sunk cost. I would say I, I mean the risk of it though. The the idea that you're gonna be paying the Yadier Molina was... in three years, it's just historically improbable that Yadier Molina is going to be putting up decent stats or decent playing time at that point. I agree. I certainly agree with that, but I also think that uh uh I there's a difference, I do honestly believe, that the idea that a, you know Molina a little better. You have a little bit more confidence in what you're paying for. I agree that last year's probably going to be an overpay. I also think that last year of you Darvish is going to be an overpay. I think that last year of Jake Arrieta, last two years of Jake oh, Arrieta. Sure. And to be maybe, clear, maybe. I'll sign Yachty to a 30-year deal just because I'm too sentimental. Right. But, well, but and, and like I'll, I'll put it this way. like If they're going to sign a guy, even that deal – like it is three years. Like it's three years. That's one year longer than Ozuna is signed. Like that's not crippling. Like, and that is a franchise icon who you do not want to let get away. And to be fair, though, they signed him before last year, so we were looking at a four-year time span at the beginning. That's of true. This. That's true. And, and, I, and frankly, year one was okay. I had no real beef with year one. And and to me, the larger concern with Yadi is, I just they're clearly never going to give him the days off that they always say they're going to. And now this, they've at least admitted it. Well, <laughs> that's over. Right, that's over. Yeah, yeah. You and, don't and put Pena on the roster because you intend on... on I didn't realize sitting. that was actually Tony Pena's son, by the way. That's oh, awesome. awesome. Amazing, right? Yeah. I when, you're, when you're an 80s Cardinals fan, I went to an early spring training game and I said to the person next to me, he doesn't stand a chance, so enjoy watching him now. And now he's on the Major League Club. Yeah, but he, he, he can stand a lot of chances if you're not his backup. So. Right. Um, but yeah, that's what I mean is that like I listen, I understand. I understand the frustration that you wish that we all wish they would have done a little bit more, particularly when the Cubs go out and sign Darvish. But realize and this is kind of what I, I hinted at earlier, the Cubs are remember like just last year before last season, it's like, wow, the Cubs are just going to be the best team in baseball in perpetuity because they've just got so much coming through the pipeline and so much going on. And now we've clearly seen the Cubs correctly or incorrectly have made the decision to go for it now yes they it want is to get a win it. Like, now for clearly... the next two or three years yes and then and then there's going to be a problem like no matter how much money they have there's going to be a problem for them if they can't completely replenish their their farm system in the next two or three years in fact i don't see how they're going to do that so that's fine like that's i i, I understand i think that's a perfectly rational and logical decision for the cubs to do that I don't think it would be rational and logical for the Cardinals to do that. I don't now, think. I... Here's what I wanted, though, and and I don't even I don't want them to sign bad contracts. Of course, I wanted to hear the rumors. I wanted to know the Cardinals were knocking on every door, desperate for something. And they when all were these for the first month, they were for the first month. And That's then right. It, then it just stopped. That's right. And and you wanted all these free agent pitchers to at least know there's a price where you want Darvish, there's a price where you want Arietta, and there's a depth need there. So this this is you know I I don't especially before this last month and forget his injury when you're sitting there with Adam Wainwright and his uh, not great last two years going into the rotation that 
your your thinking is this already a hole? Is this is uh, how long do we have to give him? And then we're going to trust the spot to uh, a rookie, and is he going to be ready and all that kind of stuff? That this this was a need that the Cardinals seemed to have in December and January as prices kept dropping and the winter went on. But it was never it, the only the only we only ever heard like from the same people going. I don't know why the Cardinals aren't going after this pitcher or that pitcher. That's all we ever heard. But I do know, I do understand why. And it's funny, you saw this a lot. I was listening to uh, to, to, to Buster Olney's baseball podcast, which I don't actually think is that great. I love Buster Olney, and whenever he has Keith Law on, I love listening to him. But for some reason, he thinks a podcast is like a TV show. I don't understand why that podcast starts with 15, with like five or 10 minutes of audio highlights. <laughs> it's a podcast. Like, we don't want to listen to like the radio call of someone making a great play. Anyway, um, but he was talking with uh, Tim Kirkchen, who is awesome as well, and they were they were talking about the Cardinals, and they've talking about Gregerson being down, and they said, I mean, they 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 expressed such befuddlement that the Cardinals were not going out and getting getting Holland. Oh well, uh, yeah, it's stupid. That would it's, be stupid. And I would argue that a lot of the people like listen, I like Buster Olney, I like Tim Kirkchen. You know who most of their sources are. Agents. Most of their yeah. sources are agents who are all calling me like, why is nobody signing Greg Holland? Why is nobody signing Greg Holland? It, I'm sorry. It makes no sense for the Cardinals to sign Greg Holland. Like none. It makes zero sense to sign him. Even if he wants to uh, – Gould talked about this in his chat this week about how like even if he just wants a tiny little deal – who are you kicking off the roster for him right now? Are you committing an entire – and he's not going to want a tiny little deal. He's waited this long. He's going to want something. So the – I and for a guy that I'm not sure is better than the whole than, than a lot of these guys, like I, I, the, I, the guys I think he's better than are guys you can't get rid of, like Cecil or Tuivalala or, or guys that are like stuck on the roster at or that point. Or Bud Norris. Or Bud Norris. Yeah, Ugh. to be fair, Bud Norris, yes. But uh, I, 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 I – listen, Bud Norris – was better in the second half last year than Greg Holland was. And so I agree. I have the same kind. And I feel like if Holland, the, the, the Norris thing is just because it happened on the heels of the Darvish thing. No, like no, 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 no. Bud Norris, because of his comments about the minorities and because of him torturing Cardinal Nation for many years, we've stared at him. And he, hey, his, his stats, the fact that the fact that everybody was – there was a lot of reasons to not like the Bud Norris. I don't like Bud Norris any either, and I definitely don't like the, his view of the world. But, like, if they'd have got Jake Arrieta, Arrieta, who is responsible for the one tweet that had nearly made me throw my computer across the room <laughs> – I was looking at my computer on election night 2016. I blame myself for that one. But um, the, the idea that, uh, like, if the guy's good, like, what are you going to do, you know? <laughs> like, well, yeah, but that's – that's. I think I said this the other day. I said, look, you're, you're not going to have the greatest character people and all that stuff. But if I'm a general manager and I'm going to sell my soul and I'm going to sell my ethics, it better be for a player better than Bud Norris. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that's true. I think there's a difference between um, uh, a Josh Lupke, for example, uh, the guy that that, that or or, uh, or Derek Norris. No, no, no. Like Those are evil people. They're, you wouldn't sell yourself for them. I, I am the. I'm very proud the Cardinals never have had interest in Chapman right. or something like that. Right. right. That could and, be the Cubs. Yeah, and but I and I listen. I I agree, but I also like. I mean. 
I, I don't know if Norse is going to be that great either. But if if I start going down, like uh, it's fine. I had uh, I you know, I do this show for Sports Illustrated, and I had Chris Hayes from MSNBC as one of my guests, and we were discussing whether or not we wanted to know. We're going off topic a little bit, but whether we wanted to know the politics of our favorite players. Uh, and he said he and he we kind of agreed on this. We didn't really care about the players. We'd like to know the owners' politics because that actually like affects like the way it's run. But like if I'm going to start like deciding who I'm cheering for based on whether or not I think that they are a good, the good hearted person and a good citizen of the world that I think they should be. Neither of which I think Bud Norris is. I, it's, it, I, I have an old, uh, I have an old, uh, an old friend of mine from college who would not go to Wendy's because uh, Dave Thomas gave to uh, pro-life organizations. And I, I totally agree with her. I think Dave Thomas was wrong for doing that, and I uh, and I'm pro-choice. But if I start waiting uh, to only eat at places where the CEOs jive with me politically, I'm going to starve. Absolutely, absolutely. And so you like your Chick Fil A? You're you're in Atlanta, I know, or Athens. So, so. So uh, that's the, that's the, going off offline a little bit. But I think that's kind of the point on that. Is to me the Norris thing was bad bad optics. Rather, as the notion goes, rather than he's a middling guy. It's one year. It's not that much. If you and I think he is just as good as Holland. To be honest, I don't think Holland was really very good in the second half last year. And the, the thing with Holland is you have to give up a draft pick, and the Cardinals just yeah. gave away their draft picks to the Astros. Why are they going <laughs> to? Exactly. Greg Holland is going to be worth a forty number forty two draft pick? No, I don't want to give. Of they they got to replenish Absolutely their system not. constantly, right? Particularly when the Cardinals have clearly committed to this, we're not going to start the season with a closer. And bringing in Holland is a clear, okay, he has to be the closer now. It's a panic move for a closer. It just doesn't make sense. And that kind of brings back to that idea that those guys, of course, they're going to, like, I feel like a lot of the, why don't the Cardinals go get this guy? Why don't the Cardinals go get this guy? Feels a little, I don't know if this isn't coming across as too strong, it feels a little lizard brainy. It feels a little like I want this and they should go get this. Why aren't they doing it? I, I when when they listen, it frustrates me that uh, they did not that they haven't got some of the guys I wanted them to get. I would I feel like it might have been worthwhile trying to really overwhelm, say, the Rays in the deal for Archer. Like I think that that was a, a deal to me that made a certain amount of sense. And I think you've got the minor league depth to do that. But the Rays obviously don't feel that way or, or come across that way because because they didn't make the trade with not just them for anyone. So I feel like you, I want them to be aggressive, but I don't want them to be stupid. What about the Robert deal with the White Sox? That was my yeah. most painful part of last year was that they I didn't think get that done. I think that's totally fair. I think that's totally fair, particularly because it looked like it was totally going that direction too. Like I think we all thought that was going to happen. I think that I think that is if if you are putting a a bunch uh, uh, ex, uh, exhibit uh, of uh, exhibit A of the evidence and a bunch of evidence against the Cardinals in that round, I think Robert is at the top of that list. I and for me, it's not even a frustration of necessarily getting or not getting players. It's that the words that come out of the the mouth of the organization um, do not match the actions of it. So I may even think they're stupid. I may even think the idea of going after, uh, you know, <laughs> some Eric Hosmer type of thing is stupid. But when you go to the off season every year and you say, "Don't worry, guys, we've got so much money to spend. We've got prospect." 
palooza that we're able to do in deals. We're really going to add all these big-name talents. And then you have this, why aren't the Cardinals in these rumors? You know, what's what's going on the year before? How come the Cardinals' bid for Jason Hayward wasn't overwhelmingly the best one? I mean, mm. what are they expecting here? So that's the frustrating part, is that they, they talk about dry powder, and it turns out that other teams have more dry powder. <laughs> yeah. I think it's and I, I think it's fair. I think it's fair. But you know, if you look at their contracts moving forward, there's really no there's no contract the Cardinals have that's going to really screw them. Like there's no con- and and for me that's good because as you talked about, they can afford to make a mistake if they have to. But and maybe they're a little bit too cautious sometimes because they don't want to make that mistake. But I would argue that and listen, I think you make an argument that Stanton might have been a mistake if they'd have gotten it. Like I know we all got excited about Stanton. He just came off his great year. That contract is massive, and they were going to pay massive. Oh, it is oh, long. They were going to pay more of that contract than I ever thought they were going to. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. But uh, I'm. I'm. It's possible that that was a bullet dodged. We'll see. Maybe not. But if you're telling me that uh, we've got Ozuna for two years and then you can talk about maybe extending him to a deal that I would have to assume would be less than what Stan's going to get in that time, uh, I kind of think I might take that anyway. So Stanson, I think, is, I mean, obviously, one injury that makes him (laughs) – less productive now is going to trickle down all those years and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and it could be a disaster, but I think it goes back to our earlier disagreement where it's like, they're paying Adam Wainwright almost $20 million this year. And they paid yeah, him but, 20 but million not, last not, year. They paid him 20 million the year before. I agree. But like, you're not paying Giancarlo Stanton 20 million. You're paying him 30 million, <laughs> but you're paying him 30 million a decade from now. Yeah. Well, that's the problem. Yeah. That, that's the problem. And like Wainwright, listen, this deal for Wainwright has not, really turned out like it like we love Wainwright and he's had some good times in that but he was he's been injured a lot of the times and frankly it's hard to imagine them giving him that deal again to be honest it's hard to uh, not 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 mean him that deal giving really any uh, I'll put it this way if Lance Lynn were as beloved this is like Wainwright got the deal that Lynn wanted would have wanted this year sure. right like like three years ago this is the deal he would have thought he would have gotten and he and he clearly was obviously didn't get it it's hard to imagine a, the Cardinals ever giving a deal like that that they gave to Wainwright again. B, the Cardinal fans being in love with a pitcher as much as they've been with Adam Wainwright and a pitcher that's done as much as Adam Wainwright has for the franchise. The idea that, that in 2014 when you made that deal, we all thought, mm, that's a lot, but man, it's Wainwright. Okay, now we see what happens sometimes when you make that deal. But like there was risk involved in that deal in 2014. It hasn't worked out. But, you know, I think that we got lost a little bit because he was our guy. And I think I think there's something to be said that I, I agree with you in that there's a sometimes they're willing to take on more risk for their own guys than they might necessarily be for other teams players. I still will always kind of go on the side of prudence. Uh, sure. And I love Adam Wainwright. And, and I wish I could go on the side of prudence. But again, if Adam Wainwright wants to pitch in 2019, I offer him a contract because I'm a sucker like that. Uh, and, and that's just that's how I am with legends, right? Like Ozzy Smith retiring in '96, that that devastated me. Well, he will. Say, this is a good question, actually. Let's say he has. Let's say he pitches 150 innings this year at like a four-three ERA. That seems like that seems. If you get that from Wayne, he gives right, you 150 league average innings. Is what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. Like I think that you're. I guess obviously it's not worth 20 million, but you know that's 
that's kind of that's okay. If you get that out of Wayne Wright this year, I don't think anyone would complain about that. Let's say he wants to come back for. Uh, he, he said in the past he wants to pitch two years after this one. Mm-hmm. Let's just say he wants to come back for one. Would you give him eight million to come back next year? Oh, easily. And I'll give you the easiest comparison here. Uh, I would have given Matt Holiday the twelve million dollar deal he got with the Yankees last year just to keep him as a Cardinal. But I'm not saying this is the right baseball move. I'm telling you why I'm not a general manager. Well, then, but then, 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 shouldn't you be okay with the Molina deal? Oh, I am okay with the Molina deal. I also thought it wasn't the right baseball move, although every single day Yadier Molina seems to prove more bionic than the <laughs> day before, and I'm starting to actually believe that he's going to be an everyday catcher in his fifties. I, but. At a, I mean, Molina's the same way, where it's like, if Yadi or Molina wants to play for the Cardinals, I'm finding him a roster spot. But that's just, that's again, it's my sucker sentimentality for that, for that. I would have not recommended that the Cardinals did it, and I stated so at the time, which got me some nice tweets. You can let, <laughs> you can let Drew know that. Um, but uh, these legends, you know, we all remember the championships, and we all remember the rings, but... I think the next tier down isn't World Series teams or playoff teams. It's the players that that you grew up watching. I think people remember Bob Gibson and Lou Brock more than they remember necessarily a, a 1968 where the Cardinals fell short or a 1972 where they had second place. The, the legends of watching Gibson and Brock play all those years is what shines out more than the performance of the team. Yeah, I mean, Ozzie Smith, 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 yeah, Smith only won one World Series. Right, right. And I happen to be zero years old, so I don't have a whole lot of memories from it. But you better believe that I was all about Ozzie Smith right up until he retired. I hated La Russa that first year, let me tell you that. Yeah. How dare was, you mess with Ozzie res- Smith? I was kind of respected that Ozzie really followed that through. Like, he was mad and he followed it through literally until La Russa left. And I, now, know. I, was, I know. I, I, I think I always thought it was unnecessary. But uh, I respect him for calling me all this. <laughs> you know, that is, that is, if, if you want to learn how to hold a grudge, that is the guy you go to for that kind of information. So <laughs> I mean, it was great. And I've actually, it's sad because the whole grudge incident actually made me, made, took the shine off of Ozzy for me because I just wanted to see all my Cardinals together in their red jackets and I just wanted <laughs> to see all that stuff happening. And it was kind of like, you know, I liked Larusa. I did. Uh, I didn't always like his player feuds, but I really liked him as being the, the face of the Cardinals all those years. Um, and so it was kind of like, you two better get along for the sake of me, the fan. Um, <laughs> yes, I understand. But, but the, the, I guess for me, and maybe everybody's different on this, I'm just so much of an era person. I, I want the championships. I don't care who's in the uniform for the championships. But if you're not going to give me a championship, dear Lord, let me watch Adam Wainwright make one more great curveball in Yadier Molina's glove. I got, I got no beef with that whatsoever. So it's late. I know you have 10 articles to finish tonight. Let me, <laughs> uh, let me ask you, who were your players growing up? Uh, my favorite player, actually, I mean, is obviously Ozzy, but my uh, Ozzy and Willie, but my actual favorite player was Daryl Porter because I was a catcher. I uh-huh. was a catcher, and I did you have the glasses? I did not have the glasses, but uh, I, I think those glasses would have made me fall on my face. Those are very big glasses for a small for for a seven or eight year old kid uh, to wear. But I loved Daryl Porter, and not to get into the details about this, 
But when I was very when I was younger, uh, I was actually very, very much into the church. And Daryl Porter was a born again Christian. He had actually written a book called "Snap Me Perfect" about his struggles with drug and alcohol addiction and how uh, getting into Jesus kind of helped save his life. And um, that was I was very amenable to that at that age. So I read his autobiography, and it was very lovely and wonderful. And of course, as it turned out, Daryl Porter continued to struggle with his uh, addictions uh, all the way to his toward his death. But like, so I've always found it felt like an emotional attachment to Daryl Porter because he was was my favorite player uh growing up just because i loved catchers and he was he really was like catchers straight from central casting he had that awkward you were just slightly too young for the ted simmons part of it or i was i was too young for ted simmons my first the first year i ever watched the cardinals was 82 uh i was seven years old world series i know i was the first year everyone it's like wow this happened this must be this happens all the time apparently so i never saw simmons uh ken boyer was one of my dad's favorite players i never saw him i said kenny reitz was another one of my dad's favorite players i never saw him play for the cardinals my first year was that 82 team so uh porter porter was you know he again he played my, my position and uh and i just really he he it's funny porter like a lot of people uh if you think trees will stop if they see a car on the tracks all, uh, you're right all kind of had back and said, they okay, will this guy is good About a mile <laughs> i know that that uh i will never ever in the world say a bad word about william mcgee but sabermetrically uh he doesn't quite hold up as well as <laughs> some people might remember porter does porter was really really good pretty much his entire career and i uh, you know it's funny he actually led the major he led the majors in walks in 1979 yeah. he was like an above average hitter he had an op like if you look at his career line i'm on his baseball reference page now he paid for seven 17 years he was a catcher for 17 years and had an ops of 113 ops plus 113 his entire career like he was above average just about every season as a hitter, let alone a guy that was really respected as a catcher uh, and played for 17 years. So I was – he's one of those guys I always find myself relieved to realize that he was as good. And he was also from the Midwest. He was from Joplin. He was a Midwestern guy. So Daryl Porter was, was probably uh, – William McGee and Ozzie Smith were obviously – they were everybody's favorites. But uh, my, my guy was probably Daryl Porter. Now, forgive me because I pronounce names uh, as I did when I was a kid when I read them off baseball cards. Gene Tenace. Gene right. Tennis. Gene tennis, tennis yeah. okay. He's the backup catcher those years. Yeah. Check and, out uh, his stats now in a modern okay. context. Okay, I will I will check them out. Um, Mr. Oh. Walk, Mr. Power. I mean, you, you look at it now, and, and frankly, oh, you'll yeah, go, oh, yeah. maybe, maybe Porter should have been on the bench. Cause... Yeah, well, Gene Tennis now, I mean, look at Gene, look, hell, look at these numbers. If this guy, if, if he did that now, we'd be talking to him as a Hall of Famer. Right, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and it, did you take it hard when he died, Porter? Yeah, it was really, you know, it's funny. I used to write a column called Life as a Loser, one of my first uh, columns I ever wrote. Uh, I, I kind of used it as practice to try to, like, get myself because no one was reading me and no one was uh, was paying me to, to read me. And so I wrote – and so when he died, I actually wrote a column about kind of my connection with him and how much I how much I loved him as a player and how I read his book and how he, he really represented something for me. And I got a very nice note from his sister, actually. She gets a very oh, nice note. Nice. Saying that the family had actually kind of seen the piece, and I think that he—I mean, he's the MVP of the NLCS and the World Series in '82. And I think he's uh, his name kind of popped up back a little bit when David Freeze did that in uh, in 2011. But uh, I, I, any time that people remember Daryl Porter, I try to report. I have a fridge magnet of Daryl Porter on our fridge. I can't uh, believe our, that a Daryl Porter fridge magnet exists. So that's pretty. Yeah, cool. I think I think I think it was I think someone just put it together on Etsy for sad sacks like me, but it was worth it. Wow. 
<laughs> I, I, th- I figured you might you got like a really old one, and here you are going. No, I got a specially made, specially made Etsy man. I'm <laughs> so, uh, in conclusion, Cardinals have a successful year. What is your look for it? Who do you look for? Like who's the key? Yeah, who's who's standing out here? Um, I think there's two ways to look at that. One is someone that they absolutely have to have. Uh, the most critical guy if you lose him they're in big trouble and i think molina is that guy i actually think de young is that guy there's no i know everyone is excited about munoz i think he can play a little bit of short he's the guy that has no plate discipline at all i know where he had this fun spring but guys like him always have good springs because nobody walks in the everyone's throwing a fastball uh, nobody's walking but hey yeah it's not like de young has great plate discipline either I know that. I know. But there's no backup. Like, there's no – I joked about this in my in my big season preview for MLB.com. But, like, the, the we're saying the same things about DeYoung now that we said about Diaz before last year, except Diaz had DeYoung as a backup. Right. And there but is but no, we didn't know we had him as a backup. I know. That's true. But, like, DeYoung saved the Cardinals in a lot of ways last year too. So I feel like DeYoung is the one guy. There's just no – we talk about the flexibility of the team. There's really no flexibility when it comes to the shortstop position. But if you're looking for someone to really bust through – I have to say, I kind of feel like Ozuna it feels like a sleeper MVP guy, right? Like, it feels like the, put those three guys ahead of him, Fowler, Pham, Carpenter. If those guys can be healthy all year, I know it's asking a lot, but if those guys can be healthy all year, those are three awesome on-base dudes. Like, I know RBIs don't matter that much, but, man, Ozuna's going to have a ton of opportunities to bang guys in. If he can have the year he had last year surrounded by a much better lineup, I feel like Ozuna has like true. I've, I'm doing my big yearly. I've I've been doing the same fantasy league for 20 years. Ozuna is a dude I am very very high on this year. So I think Ozuna could have a true like superstar year uh, this year. And if he does that, that 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 makes the offense. If Ozuna has the year he did last year, or even a little bit better, and he's in his prime, he's 27 years old. If he's in his prime, I feel like. We will not regret missing out on Stanton. It's well, the, the big question about Azuna, right, is was he a Ludwig? Is, yeah. Is, yeah. Was, was last year his big 37 home run year and then he was going to be a good power hitter but never reached those heights again? Uh, this spring training <laughs> – he had a home run tonight, by the way. This yeah. spring training has made me a lot more comfortable about that. I think this team has a tremendous amount of uncertainty. That was the big question on Azuna, and I think he is he's more certain now than a month ago uh, with ever – you know, spring stats – with all the caveats that they come with, uh, he looks ready to play. So yeah, and if, if, I, if there's a key guy, it's funny. I actually think the key guy in the rotation, as this kind of is probably Nicholas. Like if he is good, I don't mean just like league average because I feel like you're already gonna one of your stars is gonna be league average. I actually wrote my preview. I'm actually more concerned about Waka than a lot of other people are. Waka makes me a little nervous. That shoulder, just because the injury. Yeah, you just usually have to like usually that that needs surgery. Like there's a re- is a reason that most people get surgery on that shoulder. And so the fact that he pitched through it to be good last year, but not great, uh, that makes me a little nervous about him. Uh, but I feel like Weaver, like I am all in on Weaver. I am. I think Weaver's going to be great. I think Carlos is going to be great. And I think you're going to get something good out of of, of Flaherty and those guys. But Nicholas, to me, if Nicholas can be a better like can really be the starter that I think the Cardinals feel like he could be and you saw flashes of it late in spring if he can really be the third starter on this team and maybe Flaherty's the third starter on this team if he can pitch like a third starter on this team that really elevates the rotation quite a bit uh if because like you sign Nicholas to be a fifth starter but if he's a third starter 
that rotation starts to go from solid top to bottom to maybe something a little bit more. Well, who's your second starter in that scenario? Uh, Carlos and Weaver. Oh, Weaver is already your number two. Okay. Yeah. Uh, to so. me, the, to me, the wild card has to be Wainwright because if Wainwright is at all Wainwright of old, it makes all the difference in the world. Because uh, so, so put it this way: Wainwright's potential is from contributing nothing to contributing everything, and I don't think that there's quite that range. Yeah. Any other pitcher has there, and the, I think the team will go. Not necessarily as he goes, but if if Wainwright contributes nothing, you better have some healthy starters. <laughs> yeah, because they, they the won't have the depth there. But if Wainwright is a comeback player of the year type of has that sort of season, then suddenly they look like they have a powerhouse rotation. And right. I'm not going to doubt him. Yeah, I mean well, he's Wainwright, man. <laughs> right. He is. He's. He is. He is all. All I want out of like I obviously supported the Cardinals. But I want Wainwright to be awesome this year. I just want it badly. I just Absolutely. want it for him. He's just one of my favorite Cardinals in a long time. Absolutely. Uh, great, great personality, great representative of the team, uh, a Georgia boy. Uh, yeah, lo- mm-hmm. love Adam Wainwright. Uh, I can't thank you enough for doing this. I'm no. sorry for you to do that. I know this is a, everybody needs a good career low, I think, so that they can balance it out and appreciate everything else. Uh, that Listen, goes man, on. I'll I'll talk about I'll talk about the Cardinals with you as long as you you let me, man. That's, that's okay, why, so tomorrow I, I night get, at nine again. We'll... Yeah, if I get, uh, uh, I'll have you fill in for me for uh, with with Bernie when I can't make it. <laughs> yeah, so, this, this is fun, man. I, that's, I'll, I'll talk about this stuff forever. Excellent, excellent. Well, good. I hope to talk to you again soon. Uh, most of the time, I, I I'm scared. Next time, uh, one of two things will happen. I'm either never going to talk to you again, or the next time I talk to you, I'm going to be like, I told you so. Yeah, that's fine. So. That's okay. I, I don't, well, neither one of those are good. No, let's go for the happy places. <laughs> that's good. That's I good. I'll have you on to brag to me like, look, kid, do you see why I'm running for MLB and you're yes. not? Yeah, oh, I'll do please. that. I, I wouldn't go that far. All right, well, thanks for having me. I had a good time. Thanks a lot. Have a good night. All right, do you want me to send you this audio just in case uh, Just in case it didn't record it? You got it. You got it. You feel comfortable. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can write you if it didn't record. Yeah, also, I because, I mean, we're still recording now, I should say, um, if you want to say, hey, folks, check me out at these 95,000 places. Oh, I mean. This, uh, yeah, uh, ch- just check out. Uh, if, really, the best way to, to get the pure Will Leach on tap <laughs> is to uh, just go to tinyletter.com slash William F. Leach. My newsletter has links to everything that I write, and I write a special new, uh, new, newsletter-only column every week. So wow. and sometimes it's about baseball. Oh, hey, so now we're done with the baseball part. Yes. Uh, your Disney Pixar list, I hated it. <laughs> Sorry. I, <laughs> Some... I cannot believe where you ranked up. If up, it. if up ended after ten minutes, it would be number one, but it doesn't. You can't take out the best ten minutes of a movie and then declare it's no good because the best ten minutes of the movie. I are didn't gone. say it's no good. In fact, it's actually like Pixar makes really good movies. We like Up, but, oh. this, but the last. I'm sorry, but like people when they think of Up are thinking of the first ten minutes and they're thinking of the cute dog. Oh, absolutely! I think of the cute dog. Yeah, and, but uh, but and, I think it. I I honestly do think. It's it's ranked lowly. In fact, I'll tell you something about when I watch Up. I skipped the first ten minutes because I don't want to get that sad. Yeah, I, I think that's quite reasonable. <laughs> that's quite reasonable. Um, all right. Well, let me know if you need anything on this, and I'll send it over. But uh, otherwise, uh, holler when it's up and uh, enjoy the game Tuesday. I'm ready. I'm Thursday. awesome. I'm ready. Let's do it, man. Have a good all night. Right. Of course. Be safe. See you.